Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. Both my coach and my mentor have helped me learn and figure out was like, Sometimes if you're in extreme stress, that's actually a sign to remove yourself from that situation than it is to like get better at just like existing in stress. Three, two, one. My name is Espri Devora, host of the Women in Tech show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hello, everybody. I'm Ulvia Jaffarli, a data scientist in Italy. Although I'm living in Rome, originally I am from Azerbaijan. While thinking about how long it took for me to be a tech woman in the technology world, I felt the responsibility and desire to help other women as much as I can. Therefore, I developed the TechDevop platform to support others who want to achieve in technology. Because I believe women have ability to do great things. For us, sharing, helping, developing as one is the most important value. What I would like to emphasize is just do not afraid to fail, do not limit yourself with little success. Think bigger, learn, fail, repeat, experience, and reach the inaccessible. No matter how hard the challenge is, go for it. If not now, then when? LinkedIn presents. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech from around the world. My name is Marissa Honig, and I am one of the guest hosts for the podcast. I'm based out of Denver, Colorado, and I'm currently the technical assistant to the CTO at ThoughtWorks. And I also host my own podcast called Blossoming Technologist. I am so excited to be joined today by Victoria Kirst, a software engineer at the browser company based out of Brooklyn, New York. Victoria, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm so glad to be here. Me too. So um, I would love if you could tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yes. Um, hello, everyone. <laughs> I'm Victoria. Um, and as Marissa said, I'm a software engineer at the Browser Company. I realize I like keep getting older and like then my intro keeps getting longer as like I go to different companies, but um, uh, which I, yeah, anyway. <laughs> so I, um, I've been at the Browser Company about a year and a half. And before then, I was the head of platform, then head of engineering at a startup called Glitch. And then before then, I was at Google for eight years um, on Chrome and Maps and VR. And there was also a year where I was a lecturer at Stanford teaching web programming. So been in tech for a while, um, sort of jumped around between like big company at Google and uh, uh, you know, I've done a few years in startups now and did a bit of teaching. So kind of all over the place. But um, yeah, I, I've stayed around roughly in the areas of like browsers and web and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm curious, when did you first become interested in tech? Yeah. Um, actually, do you mean tech as in like the, the tech industry or like 
coding or computers at all or like, yeah. Whichever one feels right, whichever story you want to tell. <laughs> yeah, I guess like I was, I was interested in computers from a really early age, like, um, and I'm 35. So uh, when I was like five, um, we had our first computer, which was like Windows 3.1. Even at age five in a very old computer, I was like fascinated by like MS Paint. I was like, oh my God, did you know that you could like draw pictures on this computer thing? Um, yeah, it started there. I, I just like making things um, again, not programming, but I was like, just loved making things on the computer. And so I guess my like evolution went from like MS Paint to like Photoshop. So like, oh, wait, you could like make websites, I guess. And then, um, yeah, I ended up taking like a um, programming class in high school that I actually hated and thought that I would like never code again. Um, but then I took a like program class in college that was a lot better. And then, yeah, I guess since then, my path was set <laughs> and, I, and I like have been in tech ever since. When you were in college and you took that programming class, what changed your mind about computer science? Like, what was it that actually made you want to still do it and still stay on that journey? Yeah, it's a great question. I actually think about this all the time. Um, so in in retrospect, I could tell you really clearly, it's basically the, um, the instruction was a lot better and um, the environment was much more welcoming. Um, so like, in high school, when I took the class, like, um, it, it was kind of like this exp expectation that you sort of already knew how to code. Like our, our textbook wasn't even an intro programming textbook. And so I was like, looking at the textbook, totally lost, totally confused. There wasn't as many resources online for like how to learn to code. So literally, I was just like, sort of <laughs> like banging on the keyboard trying to get things to work. It was a very like competitive class, and I just I, I ended up getting a good grade in the class, but I it was such a struggle. It just felt like the most painful way of coding of just like guess and check, guess and check, guess and check until you like manage to get something work. And so I was like, that's not fun. <laughs> that's really frustrating, actually. Um, and so like, and then at University of Washington, um, the instruction was a lot more like. It, like one, the instruction was really, really good. It's like one of the best intro programming classes I think in the in the country. Um, one of the things that does really well is it really is deliberate about teaching you the building blocks of how programming works, like starting from the beginning and not really not expecting you or testing you on stuff that hasn't been covered in class. Um, so it made it a much more accessible class if you've literally never coded before or like literally like you know just don't have friends who code or um and again I, I think about that a lot too and that um discrepancy between like you know university of washington's a top 10 computer science school and so i was fortunate and privileged enough to get access to like a really wonderful introduction to computer science um but it's just you know uh, the the variability can be so much and for me it was the difference between like it was very life-changing um so it's Again, it's part of why like ed education is like uh, a passion of mine and having equal access to like education, especially at the entry level is like very um, near and dear to my heart because it like literally made the difference between whether I pursued this career at all or not. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. Um, I think it really speaks to how important 
a good education is or like a good experience in education is because like teachers make all the difference in wanting to pursue a particular passion or a particular industry. It makes such a difference. Like, I, and um, I remember at the time too, when I was a student, it wasn't like I was like thinking in my high school class, like I wasn't thinking like, gee, the instruction was not so great. My experience was just like, oh, I hate programming. You know, like that was my conclusion. I wasn't like analyzing the situation. I was like, oh, this, this is terrible. I don't like doing this at all. And so, yeah, I think that's how it can be even more like uh, really important, but also subtle where it's like, you might not even realize that you were turned off an entire field because of like the way you were introduced to it. I'm wondering like now, now that you've been in the industry for what, like 15 years, maybe? What would you say to your younger self when you were first starting and like maybe not feeling so great about the field? Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think um, I I was constantly in like a self-doubt loop and imposter syndrome loop and a fear loop of like, like, uh, I remember every time I ran into a roadblock, I was convinced, okay, this is the proof that I am going to be a terrible like programmer. This is the proof that I like can't do this. So I remember nested for loops was one. <laughs> um, recursion was another one. Like these two sort of like fun, you know, if you take interprogramming one and two, like two um, programming concepts, I just did not get them. And I was like, okay, I, I am not going to succeed. And so I think what I would tell myself is like, give yourself time. <laughs> this is gonna, you know, it's, it's it's totally okay if the first time, second time, 20th time, you don't understand it. Like, over time, like, now I understand both nested for loops and recursion really well. And I, I literally thought, like, at the time, I'm like, I'm, this is the limit of my knowledge, and I can't understand it. So I think just like encouraging myself, like, hey, this gets easier, actually, as you like, sort of build up the foundational knowledge and even if you can't understand something for not just like an hour, but like months, <laughs> like um, that's okay. Like if you keep trying, you will eventually get it. And so, um, yeah. And I, I found that to be the case with technology for sure. Yeah. That's super cool. And I love how, like, even though at the beginning you didn't necessarily want to do programming, eventually you turn that experience into wanting to teach others how to program. And like, I don't know, that really speaks to the journey you went through to get from like, you know, not understanding recursion to probably teaching people recursion and then like being so excited about it to talk about it on a podcast. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah. So you also mentioned having imposter syndrome. And I think that's a, that's something that, you know, a lot of people go through. I go through it all the time. It's, you know, it's very normal. How have you helped yourself get out of those feelings of imposter sy- syndrome and felt, you know, you can do this job, you're meant to be here, all of those things? Yeah. It's still rough. Like I still, I actually, I, I feel like at different points in my career, it's like I will um, accept one thing as true, but then have a new like hurdle <laughs> to go through with like um, imposter syndrome. So like, um, Right now, I realize my imposter syndrome thing is like on expertise. I'm like really nervous to call myself an expert on anything when I'm like, oh, I've been kind of doing web stuff for like two decades. Maybe it's time I can call myself an expert, but it's like, you know, like still like 
I'm like, ah, I don't have like a hundred percent knowledge of the field. Maybe that. So anyway, I think, um, I try to like have ways of being objective. I think, uh, something I learned was when I was first tech leading, for instance, if any time I made a mistake, if I like was like, Oh my gosh, I'm the worst tech lead ever. I don't deserve to be here you're the leader of the technical project. And like, um, it's just like objectively not the right analysis to just be like, always my incompetence, <laughs> you know? It's like you're missing out on like debugging like actually what happened. Um, plus also I think it like, you know, to other folks, it sort of sets an example of like, oh wait, is it not okay to make mistakes? You know, um, because if you're so hard on yourself for making mistakes, then what about for others? So I think I, I try to use like things like that to think about like, Hey, if I wouldn't like have that same harshness toward my teammates, I need to also live that example of like not being harsh to myself. So they know they, they also don't have to be harsh on themselves. And yeah, like try as much to like, uh, go into my like logical brain and just like, sort of like analyze, like, you know, if, for instance, if I make a mistake rather than just being like, wow, I'm terrible. Like, um, try to think through like, okay, Again, a retro of the situation in a blameless way, I guess, um, is something that I try to do. But uh, anyway, those are those are things that I try, but uh, I still <laughs> suffer from foster syndrome, so I don't have um, exactly a, a recipe to um, overcome it. Yeah, I don't think there's ever a recipe, you know, because everyone's so different. Everyone has different things that they feel imposter syndrome from. But I definitely feel that with like, almost disconnecting from yourself and like treating yourself like another person. Cause I do that too. Um, which actually helps with podcasting because when I listen to myself in a podcast, I do not associate with my voice. Like I do not think of that as me, which is really weird. <laughs> but like, I also think it's really powerful to hear you say that like, you know, you still have imposter syndrome, even though you've been in the industry for so many years, that's really inspiring as someone who's you know, newer to tech. And I'm sure others listening, there's people who are newer to tech. So I really appreciate you sharing that and like talking about then the reality of imposter syndrome. I hope it helps people feel better and not like, oh no, it's something I will never get. <laughs> but one learns to live with it. I think that's what it is. It's like, you get used to it. It's like, oh, okay. I know what you are. You know, it's like, it's not like this thing that's overwhelming. It's more like a Ah, familiar friend, Master Syndrome, strikes again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I even think um, when you were talking about, you know, tech leading a project and not knowing everything and that that's a feeling of imposter syndrome. Um, I've had experience recently when I was a tech lead and, you know, first time being a tech lead, I was like, I do not know things. And I feel like my team actually really appreciated knowing that someone who's leading the team also doesn't know things. And it almost like, you know, had yeah, I had like vulnerability and people like could step up and help me and like get chances to do leadership. Um, So sometimes there's like a positive side to it almost. Yeah, actually, that is such a good point. I think it's so important to create a space in like a team or it's certainly in engineering where it's just so safe to say like, I don't know, or I'm not sure how to do this and just have like a non-judgmental open conversation. um, Because there's so much stuff and no one is going to know everything. And it's like the only way we can make things work is by like sharing knowledge and working together. So um, yeah, that's a wonderful point. Yeah. Thank you. I totally agree. And 
one thing I always love asking on this podcast, always as in the other like two times I've recorded, but I am curious, what do you consider your calling within the tech industry? Such a good question. Um, This is actually something I have been thinking about um, trying to find for years. Um, It's been kind of a journey of mine since I first quit Google to um, teach at Stanford. And then since then, I've been kind of hopping around different companies every couple of years. So it's a work in progress. Right now, I want, like my calling is I want to help people find joy through learning and creation. Um, And so I think like, I actually really like silly things. <laughs> I love silly, useless, and practical things. I love um, beautiful things. I, I love things like stickers and highlighters and, you know, a beautiful color, a fun animation, like things that are like, you know, some would say useless, but actually provide joy. And that is not a useful or that is not a useless thing to like make someone smile and feel good. Um, and I like, you know, feel both really excited about like helping people learn, helping people teach and also helping people create. So anyway, it's kind of a lot of all in one, (laughs) but um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I feel like is like driving me these days. I love it. I was so good. I wrote it down just to like, remember that because it's so good. So I'm curious, you said you've been thinking about this for years and it's kind of been years in the making. How did you kind of settle down on that calling? What made you think, oh, this is, this is what it is? Yeah. So I actually have, um, I'm fortunate enough to have both a coach, a career coach um, uh, that the browser company actually set me up with and a mentor. And they were both like so helpful with this because I was kind of reaching a point where it's just like, sort of like staring at myself uh, figuratively in the mirror being like, what's your point? Like, what's, what are you trying to do? And uh, my mentor and coach um, had suggested like, hey, I think you're like trying to tackle this head on when this is not really a question you can tackle head on. You can't just sit in a room and think and be like, what's my purpose in life? Instead, my coach had really great suggestions of like, even just like thinking of where you gravitate towards. She's like, you know, don't limit it to, it needs to be about your career. And she was like, if you, um, if you watch a, a video and you're like, that was a nice video or you learned something and like you felt like, oh, there's something about the thing you learned that was like moved you in some way. Notice those moments and like just kind of keep track of them. I had realized that like there are all these little things sort of pulling at me, but I had been dismissing them as silly. Like I just said, like uh, a thing that I really like is stickers. And so, you know, I'd be like, I don't know, I like stickers. And I'd be like, that's silly. That has nothing to do with my career. But when I like pulled the thread of it, it's like, okay, why do I like stickers? It's like, well, I like that they're simultaneously like so, uh, you know, useless. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, someone takes time to design it. There are like so many types of stickers. They're like, you know, it's like, it, it sort of got me to like self-expression and creation and joy and like, those things were sort of represented in that sort of pull toward like stickers. <laughs> so uh, I think that's like, um, yeah, that, that was kind of how I got there was through actually not overthinking it and not like limiting myself to like, this must be to my career, but it's still just sort of trying to listen to like 
where I was naturally gravitating toward. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool. And I, I love that advice too, of like thinking about what do you naturally gravitate toward? I, I think that's a really helpful step to finding your calling. I'm also really curious. So now in your job, now that you have your calling defined, do you see that you're like, no, 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 it's going to keep, <laughs> it's going to keep uh, changing and evolving. But anyway, do you see your calling making an impact on your work day to day and like changing how you maybe make decisions or spend your time, stuff like that? Yes, definitely. I think um, this has actually been a thing that I've like, I'm openly working in my in my job in, in this job in particular. Like um, we're a small startup, we're like 40 people. I joined when we were like less than 20 people. And so um I I told the CEO, like um, I was like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't know what I want to do next. Um, I like browsers, I like the web, so I'll like hang out here, but I have no idea if I'm going to like wanna be in leadership or if I'm gonna like you know, I, I don't even know how long I want to be at the company, like things like that. And he was very like open and like completely understood um, and was like, yeah, like, I hope that you can use this time here to find your calling. And so um, a, a thing I was working on too was like, I had this habit of just throwing myself at a problem I could solve, like any problem that I knew I could solve rather than thinking, is this a problem I want to solve? Is this something that brings me happiness? Is it fulfilling? And so now that like, you know, I, I said that like sentence of like, I want to help people find joy. Blah, blah. That was a recent development. of like realizing like sort of uh, synthesizing the things that I want to do. So definitely I am like, you know, thinking about it in December of like, all right, um, you know, uh, next year's right around the corner. I definitely want to like, see if I can sort of pitch or like otherwise craft some sort of like role or project for myself that is squarely like involved with like that calling of mine, um, which I hadn't before because I didn't know what it was. So I was just kind of doing, you know, again, things that are fun, which I think are, are great. Um, but yeah, now that I have a bit more clarity, I want to also have some more intention in um, the work that I'm doing. So I want to pivot a little bit. I mean, I still want to talk about your journey, but I'm curious if there was ever a point where you recognized that the track you were on was something that you wanted to change. Yeah, I think um, there's a couple of times uh, that's happened. Once was uh, when I was on, actually on my first team at Google. Um, so I loved my first team at Google. I, I was on Chrome. I was on. Um, I was actually very early on the Chrome team, so it was back when Chrome was about a year old or so, and um, it was not the predominant browser at the time. And so there's a lot to like create. We were like the hippie open source team that was like, don't use Flash, use data of HTML media. And um, anyway, it's it, it's now standard, but at the time it was like very like oddball. Um, so I ended up spending four and a half years in Chrome Media, which, and I love browsers, I love the web, but I didn't actually love media. <laughs> like nothing against it. It just like was not something particularly interesting to me. Um, and I was realizing like, oh no, I had all these like wonderful mentors and like my manager was wonderful and they all wanted to keep giving me more and more opportunities in media. <laughs> and I was like, 
oh no, if I keep, if I don't change anything, I'm just gonna ha- like sort of autopilot to being an expert in like video streaming, which again, is not a bad thing, but it's just for me personally was like, would have just been happenstance rather than something that I was like really intentional or really loved. Um, so that sort of sparked me to like, again, it, it was scary too. Cause at the time I was like, I don't know what I want to do, but I know that getting more specialized in video streaming is not what I want to do. And so I just like, I, that's when I like actually moved away from Seattle. I moved to New York and, um, I switched teams. I worked on Google Maps instead and sort of sparked a little journey of like trying to figure out what it is that like brings me joy. Yeah. And then, you know, that leads to your calling of uh, finding joy. (laughs) Very cool. How did that kind of going through that process of, um, you know, recognizing it wasn't maybe the right track and then changing it. How did that aid in your success today and help you find the right career for you or the right job for you? Yeah, I think, um, so one thing I learned is that figuring out what you want to do and what you want out of your career is really hard. <laughs> like, and it's, it's, it doesn't just happen one day. So I think with that first move, one, I was sort of like, um, giving myself permission to even want to pursue that because I felt like I was like sort of at first in a, I, I don't know, some sort of loop where I was like, oh, am I being like ridiculous? I have a great job. I have a great manager. Like I have all these opportunities. Am I being ridiculous for giving this up to like try to find whatever fulfillment is? Is that even a thing? Is fulfillment even a thing? And um, I sort of was like, Yes, I'm in. I'm, I'm going to try to find it, um, even if it takes a while. Um, so one, that sort of mentality of like, that is something worth doing. It's worth trying to find your happy place, essentially. And then the other thing is like, um, every step I've made in that journey, I've been like, uh, less afraid to do it. So like, again, that first move of like, oh, I'm moving across the country. I'm changing teams. I'm like, you know, um, that was super scary. Um, but then, you know, a, a year and a half later, I did this, the same thing. I did an even bigger move. I went to, uh, I, you know, quit my job and moved to California and taught at Stanford. And so, like, I, I think, like, as I did it, I just got better honed to, like, okay, what are the things that energize me? What are the things I'm good at? What are the things that, like, you know, I can contribute? <laughs> like, things like that. I, I just got, like, a better feel for it. And then as I get a better feel for it, I also have just like a better, um, uh, I I can be more decisive. Like I can know sort of like, I'm a lot better at knowing when a job or a project is a good fit for me and not a good fit for me because I haven't, I've been trying not to compromise on it versus I feel like if I had just always been compromising on like, what's good for me, then you don't develop a sense of like, what's actually, you know, worth your time. And so I think that's been some of the most helpful, uh, I I guess I was the most helpful experience to like get to where I am now. Yeah. I feel like, well, it's such a nerdy thing for me to say, but it sounds like, you know, like the scientific method where you're changing like one variable and just seeing like what happens. And then you're like, oh, like, let me change this variable. Let me change this one. (laughs) That is exactly uh, what it was. It was just like, take this a bit and then you hopefully stabilize at some point. And, um, yeah. 
<laughs> Such an engineer thing to do. <laughs> yes. Yes. It was very methodical. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay. So we'll start wrapping up. I have a couple questions for you before we get to like the closing questions. One more, I'm curious, what's maybe the best lesson you've learned about yourself throughout your journey in tech? And that that's like a high caliber question to say, what's the best lesson? Um, so maybe even just the one that you uh, that comes to mind right now. So, um, okay, actually, um, I guess a meta note is, I don't know if this is going to be a good story or not. So maybe I might redo the question if, or the answer if it's not. Um, one of the things that I learned um, being a woman in tech, especially for so long, is there are like definitely a lot of challenges, um, like a lot of you know wonderful parts, a lot of very fulfilling, gratifying parts. But um, a lot of challenges. Like I've definitely experienced like unwelcoming teams. I've I've experienced uh, things that's very much felt like sexism. Um, and um, I realized that like at actually even when I like um, started with my coach, like one of the things that I was like wanting to get better at was like I'd love to you know I feel like in extreme times of stress, I'd um, be more grounded. I'd love to like be able to sort of improve my emotional leadership in like times of like extreme stress. And something that like both my coach and my mentor have helped me learn and figure out was like, sometimes if you're in extreme stress, that's actually a sign to remove yourself from that situation than it is to like get better at just like existing in stress. Um, and so that actually has stuck out to me a lot of like, I think like I had the attitude of like, you know, oh, you can, you know, it, it was kind of like an, a, a, a I was trying to be positive toward myself, encouraging to myself, like, you can do it, you can get through this, like, you can, you can persevere. Um, and I would tell that to myself, even in toxic situations, like, I'd be like, you know, um, and I, I think sometimes what would happen is like, there'd be like, either some people would be like, saying I'm not technical enough, or saying that like, I can't, or, or saying, well, well, we're not going to respect you because of XYZ. And I'd be like, I'm going to run through the obstacle course, go through X, Y, Z and prove you wrong. And like, I realize now it's like, oh, actually in those situations, I don't have to accept that as my reality. And instead I um, am practicing noticing that more and making more of a conscious effort to leave those situations rather than just powering through and then trying to like hold on to all of my like, facilities and, and like manage through the situation. Yeah. That's a really powerful lesson. I feel like that can, you know, even impact your personal life too, of like, if times get too stressful, like just step away and like reorient yourself and figure out what you want to be doing at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Like I think having that distance, um, it was something that, um, I have, been practicing and trying to get better at um like being able to yeah put things take a little bit of distance and like put things in perspective um something i'm still working on as a re uh, since it's not my reflex but um, definitely has been very helpful yeah oh so awesome so i want to wrap up with two final questions my first one is what is one thing that listeners can do to support you Actually, somewhat recently, 
started a YouTube channel. It's not about tech, but it's um it's about self-studying and like creative projects. Um so my YouTube is called Gentle Pace. It's actually related to a philosophy that I have that like you can gain success and you can like uh, achieve your your dreams if you go slowly like <laughs> uh, so anyway um i only have two videos up but i've been like trying this youtube thing so if you wanted to go check out my videos on studying um yeah my youtube is called gentle face um could you also spell out the name of your youtube channel oh i sure can um so i guess the handle is called at gentle pace so uh, G-E-N-T-L-E-P-A-C-E. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Just in case people want to find it, I'm sure we'll link it in the show notes, but um, will be easier, especially since this is, you know, an international podcast. And so um, people from around the world can tune in and learn how to study. Awesome. Last question for you. How can people connect with you, Victoria? Yes, uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is HeyBRK, which is H-E-Y-B-R-K. Um, or you can go to my website, victoriacurse.com, and I have some social media links there as well. Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, and thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast to connect and collaborate with more incredible women in tech around the world, remember to go to womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Hi, this is Victoria Kurtz, a software engineer at The Browser Company. We're a startup that's building a better way to use the internet. I'm based in Brooklyn, New York, and you're listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.